0: Good morning again, it's good to see everybody here this morning, welcome our visitors again and thankful for everyone that's here this morning and thankful for this opportunity to speak to you. So this morning I want to make the case for baptism. Now we're all Christians and we may all believe in baptism and that's, that's good, that's wonderful, But we may encounter people who are unsure. We may encounter people who don't believe in baptism that have been taught in error. And we need to be able to speak to them and teach them correctly, right? So I had a time when I was younger that I also questioned. I went through a time of questioning baptism and wondering if that was really necessary. I was baptized, but at the same time, I still was almost you know, led astray thinking that that wasn't necessary. So it can happen to anybody and we want to be able to teach each other and everyone else. We want to be able to encourage them and know uh, what the Bible actually says about this. We want to talk to them and teach to them in the manner that they taught Apollos in Acts, where they weren't condemning, they weren't being mean to him, they were teaching him what he needed to know. So, first, we need to establish three things. One, we believe in God, He is our Creator, we believe in the Bible, we believe that is the Word of God, we believe in Jesus, the Son of God, He is our Savior and He is the way and He is the example we follow. If you do not agree with those things, then we really have to have a different conversation, we have to talk about those things and get that established. But here, we're moving forward and talking about this as Christians. And so first, we have to look at what is a Christian? And the world will define a Christian this way, a person who has received Christian baptism or is a believer in Christianity. And it's kind of a watered-down definition. It's kind of this or that, maybe this, maybe that. And I would really like to just get back to basics and go back to what the the term really means, what it originally meant. A Christian is someone who's following Christ. So we follow his example and his teachings. And that's the idea. That's why we're called Christians is because Jesus is our example, his teachings are what we are following. So I want us to look at the act of baptism in a similar, very basic way, just following some logical ideas. Jesus is our leader and example, he is our teacher, he is our lawgiver, and he will be our judge. So Jesus, he leads, he doesn't lead just by talking about it, just by word, but he leads by example through his actions. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3 here, verses 13 through 17, but before we do, we need to realize that John the Baptist, he's already baptizing people for forgiveness of sins. God was moving through John and this practice was already established here. So Jews were coming to John to be baptized and this was happening at the river Jordan. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, a couple of sli- asides on this, the first one being that you'll notice the phrase, Jesus came up, up from what? Well, he came up from the water, right? As other people have said before me, and will say after me for a long time, I'm sure, for Jesus to come up or arise or ascend from the water, he had to first go down under the water. And so this is to make it clear that immersion is baptism. And the second slight slight aside here is that Jesus was not baptized as a baby. He fully, knowingly, and willingly came to be baptized. What's in our heart when we're baptized is important and a baby can't really have that kind of decision process or do that type of thing. So that's all I'm gonna say about that, just wanting to make sure that we're clear on those things. So back to John. John the Baptist, he knew who Jesus was. He wanted to be baptized by Jesus. That in itself is sort of a clue to the importance of baptism. But then John here, he's a prophet, he's preaching repentance and he's baptizing. Yet he needs, he actually says he needs Jesus to baptize him. So that's even more important. It's not a want, but it's a need. But Jesus explains that he must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. For Jesus to be perfect, he needed to be baptized. That's not to say that he had sin or that he was imperfect. But for him to be righteous and fulfill God's plan. He had to show humility and the willingness to obey what God wanted. And this kept Jesus in that right relationship with God. It kept him on that path that kept him perfect. And you can notice God's response in verses 16 and 17. That is proof positive that this was what God wanted. Jesus is our example. He leads by example. And he set the example for us. And as Christians, this should be enough. What more do we really need? If we follow Christ, do we we not want to follow his example? Do we not want that righteousness with God? But there's more. Even if that should be enough, there's still more that we can look at and talk about. If we look at this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Now Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees, he was a ruler of the Jews, he was not just any random guy off the street, and he's coming and having this conversation with Jesus. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Nicodemus admits that they know that God is with Jesus. And Nicodemus is looking to learn from Jesus. And so Jesus tells him, you know, you must be born again. And he asked, how can we be born again? Jesus gives us this answer that we must be born of water and the spirit and he says it is it is a spiritual rebirth it is a spiritual thing it is not a fleshly thing so what water and rebirth is jesus talking about we want to make sure we want to know for certain if we are to enter the kingdom of god he tells us that it's required it's what we need now i can tell you that it's baptism but i'm not the authority What I say doesn't matter. But if we look here at Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 16, these are extremely well-known verses. I'm sure a lot of people can quote these right off. Later, he appeared to the eleven. This is Jesus appearing to the apostles after he is risen. So later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, Jesus plainly states in verse 16 that the ones who believe and are baptized will be saved. But notice how he says the, the second part there, that the ones who do not believe will be condemned. He didn't say that the ones who don't believe and are not baptized. And you might say why, but it's just assumed It's as a common logical assumption. If you don't believe, you're not going to be baptized. There would be no value in it. You're not going to see any value in it. So if you don't believe, there would be no reason to be baptized. So here we see that Jesus has shown us through his own example. He has taught, in speaking with Nicodemus, he has taught baptism. And finally, in a command, he tells us that it is a requirement for those who hear and believe. Baptism is a requirement. Notice that we are commanded to preach the gospel and we offer baptism because it is the logical conclusion of someone hearing and believing the gospel. But we're not commanded to forcefully baptize people. Just taking you and shoving you under the water is not going to do you any good. That's not going to work. Because that must be the choice of the one who believes. They must want and choose to follow the Lord. So again, that should be sufficient, right? Jesus set the example and was baptized, he taught baptism, and then he said that baptism was required. Now, that should be enough, right? If we're Christians following Christ, that should be enough that we should say, yes, I'm intent on following Jesus, and that's all I need. But to be thorough, because there is more, we can look and see what did the apostles do? In Acts chapter two verse thirty eight, another very famous uh, scripture, we see that you know the apostles are still following the teaching of the Lord. Peter here is uh responding to them when the Jews said what can we do to be saved? He says to them, uh, then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Also, want you to see that in Acts 9, Paul himself was baptized. It's a quick mention. You could easily miss it. But uh, in verses 17 and 18, now Paul was temporarily blind because he had met the Lord on the road. Remember that? And so here Ananias is coming to him. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, this is before he was named Paul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So the two things he was supposed to get was he was supposed to receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he accomplished those two things by the scales falling off, and then by arising and being baptized. Now, every conversion that I know of in Acts and that I've seen in Acts involves immersion in water. Whether it be the Philippian jailer and his whole household, or if it's the Ethiopian eunuch, just to name a couple of examples there. So, that should be proof positive. We have Jesus, and then we have the apostles following through, and they're still following his teaching, doing those things. However, and, and that should be enough. I mean, that is enough proof from the Bible. That, but there's probably a couple of questions that uh, some people would still want to have addressed. Um Two of those two questions would be, usually, why do verses say belief or faith only? Why do some verses say belief or faith or grace only? Which really every, all of this is through God's grace. There's no doubt about that. But why, why are some verses that way where they don't mention baptism? And why does God want us to perform this physical act? So first, if we look at the faith-only statements or the confession-only, um, all of these fall into the same category. It's kind of a "we don't need no baptism" category. You know, that's the kind of attitude we we take sometimes. So let's look at some very famous verses here in Romans chapter ten. These are used a lot. If you look at uh, Romans chapter ten, verses eight through thirteen. Here, Paul is talking about how the Jews need Christ, how they have zeal, but they lack knowledge. So he's talking about what does the law say and then what does faith say? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Paul speaks of their belief in their heart and their confession. He says, whoever calls on the Lord will be saved. So why does he not mention baptism? Well, there's a simple explanation, and I can give you an example out of our everyday lives. Let's suppose I told you, that I went to the movies to see the Ten Commandments. So what does that tell you specifically, and what is assumed? Because I only specifically mentioned the movie I went to. I left out a lot of steps. I didn't mention that I had to find my keys. I had to get in my car and drive or walk, or I had to get a ticket somehow. I had to buy or acquire some sort of ticket, right? I didn't say anything about refreshments. I want my popcorn and my soda. I like to get the big bucket soda. So um, I didn't say anything about any of those things, but because of our common knowledge, you know, our shared knowledge and customs, your mind automatically fills in a lot of those blanks, fills in all those things. You assume most of those things based on my one sentence. And that is exactly as it is for Paul and the other Apostles in the epistles. When we read these things, um, anything where baptism is not specifically cited, baptism is assumed because that is the normal shared knowledge and custom, that is the expectation is that we would be baptized. So it is the practice that they all did. That was common, ordinary, normal. So it, And it's very common in the way we speak. again if I invited you over and said I was going to make you a burger, when well, in your mind, you would all automatically assume a lot of the processes that are going to be followed to make a burger. And you probably already have a picture in your mind of an expectation of that burger and what it's going to be like. So it's just a normal way, the way we communicate. There's nothing secretive or mysterious about it. And we are expected to follow the example of Jesus. so then we want to look at the second question. Why does God want us to perform this physical act? And the answer is two-part. There is a physical side to this, and then there is a spiritual side. So if we look at the physical first, and we look back at Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 again, why did Jesus do this? He was perfect. He was sinless. So why did he do this? Well, he says right there, it is to fulfill all righteousness, to put ourselves in right standing with God. So this is the first part of the answer of the physical part. It is us humbling ourselves and submitting to our God, obeying what He has said we must do. It shows to Him and everyone that we are willing to obey Him, whether we understand how it works or not. In our human mind, it may, it may not make any sense But this act of faith shows our belief and trust in God, kind of like the song we sing, Trust and Obey. Because we must believe that God is and that He rewards us for seeking Him. We are believing and trusting that this act washes away our sins, that our old life is forgiven, and that we are raised as a new creature. Just as Jesus showed His belief through His actions, So do we. Our faith in God cannot be done or shown without action. We must act on our faith even when we first come to the Lord. And this practice continues for as long as we are faithful, hopefully our entire lives. When we stop acting on faith, on our faith, then we have become unfaithful at that time. So right at the outset, God's plan is for us to begin acting on our faith it is our first little baby step in his plan and if we never take that first little baby step then how can we learn to walk so we must humble ourselves and be baptized like our Savior so that is the physical side and the physical answer to this to walk the walk of Jesus is to follow his example now, there is a spiritual component to this as well. And for that, we can look at these two scriptures I have here. We'll look at the first one, 1 Peter 3, verses 21 and 22. Peter is comparing baptism to passing through the flood. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So baptism is an appeal from us to God. We're going to God seeking something from him, seeking him. We are asking to be cleansed and to be saved, renewed. And then in Titus chapter three, verses four through six, Paul is writing to Titus to remind the congregations how they are heirs of grace, because this all works from God's grace. But when kindness of God our Savior, no, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of his mercy, through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ, our savior. Now the word there for new birth, that also means regeneration, rebirth, renewal. You may see that in different translations. But notice the verb Paul uses, it is through the washing of the new birth. So who's doing the washing? It's God in his mercy, right? If you look here, God, he saves us through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So it is God spiritually washing us. He saves us not by our works, but by the washing of baptism. So another way to look at it, baptism is not something that we do. It is something that we humbly go to the Lord and ask him to do for us. He cleanses us spiritually as only he can do. And men do not really baptize. We just assist in the physical aspect of it. That's really all we do. There's nothing wrong with saying that my dad baptized me or whoever baptized you, preacher Glenn in my case, you know, whoever it was, because they helped in the physical aspect of that. But the real true change, the real baptism is spiritual. And it comes from the Lord. So that is the case for baptism. Jesus was baptized. Jesus taught baptism was required. Jesus told us to baptize those who believe. The apostles continued in the Lord's example and they baptized. Baptism is the expected result of believing And baptism is actually a spiritual cleansing that only comes from the Lord. So in closing, I want us to think about this. God wants us all saved, everyone here on this planet, not just us here, everyone. He wants that so much that he came down in the form of Jesus, one of us, and showed us how to do it. He showed us and he taught us. So have you fulfilled all righteousness? Do you have that relationship with God our Father? Have you been baptized? Have you been reborn and renewed by the Spirit? If not, I want you to please come forward and we'll be happy to help you with that. And also we're here in service to help one another. So if there's anything here that we could do for someone, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.